0: Let us pray before we begin. We just sing have mercy on us and we come asking for that same mercy. These are not just words that we sing but Lord this is truly desire of our heart because we know that we have sinned against you and our sins deserve judgment and you are just and you are righteous but there's forgiveness with you and so we are so grateful. We come Lord and we know that you hear us and we know that you respond Not because we can somehow coerce you to show mercy, but we can only plead for that. And you say that those who come to me humbly, I will not turn away. And so that's our prayer. Lord Jesus, we ask that you will be pleased today to speak to us through your word. We ask that your word would go forth successfully. We know that your word never comes back void. And so as we come to the conclusion of this book, Lord, we ask that once again you allow us to examine our own hearts and to see ways in which we are just like Jonah. And I pray, Lord, that today we we'll be compelled by your mercy to be different. That we would see the heart that you have for sinners. And because we are born again, because we have the Spirit of God on the inside. And because we are being transformed into your image, that we would have the same heart. We ask that you would forgive us where we don't. We ask that you would cleanse us, Lord, from the times where we acted just like Jonah. And we ask that today, through your word, you would encourage us to be more like Christ and less like Jonah. Father, I ask that you would be exalted and glorified through the preaching of your word. For your glory, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can take your Bibles and turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. And today we come to the final chapter of this book. If you've been with us, it's been quite a ride. In the last chapter that we studied, chapter 3, in the last verse of chapter 3... We saw that Sodom and Gomorrah-like destruction was averted. God showed mercy. The whole book was heading towards this climax when Jonah comes into the city and he prophesies and he tells him, You have 40 days to live, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. We saw their response last time in chapter 3 where everyone from cattle to king was covered with sackcloth and ashes. And all the people were crying to God, For mercy, just like we sang the song before. Be merciful to us. And mercy came. Mercy came, we saw in chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring upon them. And He did not do it. Now this is an amazing turn of events. God shows mercy and compassion to this pagan city. Now you would think this would be time for celebration. You would think it's time to come together and because God has been so kind to us, let's celebrate and let's praise Him. If you were to write a final chapter for the book of Jonah, how do you think the story should end? I mean, what is an appropriate response To chapter 3 verse 10 where it says God relented concerning the calamity which he was about to bring. I would suggest to you that chapter 4 should sound something like this. And it greatly pleased Jonah. And he became exceedingly joyful. He prayed to the Lord and said, I praise you Lord for you are a great God. I sinned when I fled to Tarshish though I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abundant in loving and kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, I praise you, for you preserved my life by not letting me die, for life is better to me than death. Then the Lord said, yes, you do have a reason to be joyful. Then Jonah went into the city and spent many days in Nineveh teaching them the laws of God. And all the people, from the greatest to the least of them, rejoice with Jonah because of the goodness of the Lord, which he has shown to them by relenting concerning the calamity he purposed to bring upon them. That's how the book should have ended. But we read the book, that's not how it ends. What happened? Listen to this translation from Legacy Standard Bible. Of chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 1. Because many of our translations miss this. It says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from the evil way. So God relented concerning the evil which he had spoken he would bring upon them. And he did not bring it upon them. But this was great evil to Jonah. And he became Angry. Exactly the same word is used. Evil, evil, evil. Ninevites repented of their evil ways. God relented concerning the evil which he was going to bring on the Ninevites. And the fact that God relented was great evil in the eyes of Jonah. I mean, what's going on with Jonah? I mean, I thought, Jonah, you repented in chapter 2, didn't you? Didn't you pray for mercy when you were on the bottom of the sea? You see, what's going on in the heart of Jonah is not as uncommon as we would think. Because I think we can all agree that many of us, in many ways, are just like Jonah. Now, we are more sophisticated than Jonah, and we would not throw a tantrum like Jonah does here for everyone to see and for people for the next 2,000 years to read. But you know what? God sees our hearts. God sees our hearts, and that's why I think this chapter is here. What is the point of Jonah chapter 4? The point is simply this. Because God has compassion for the lost, so should we. Because God has compassion for the lost, so should we. You see, we cannot be Christ-like and not imitate his compassion for perishing sinners. Now, as we look at this chapter, I want to make this very personal for you and me. I want to ask this question of myself, and I want you to ask this question of yourself. Are you like Jonah? Am I like Jonah? And don't be too quick to answer this question, oh, definitely not. Because as we walk through this chapter, see if the same heart that Jonah has is the same heart that you have. The attitude that Jonah exhibits in this chapter, the attitude that you might exhibit. No, you might not tell anybody about it. But guess what? God knows your heart. God sees what you're thinking. God sees what you're feeling. And perhaps what we think and feel and the attitude that we have is the same attitude that Jonah had. Don't think that this message is for the guy next to you. Or I wish that he was here today to hear this. See if the Lord can talk to you and see if you have that heart. Join me as I read chapter 4 of Jonah. It says, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant And it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plan. But God appointed a worm when the dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? He said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? Here's a portrait of Jonah that we have in this chapter. Number one, If you are like Jonah, you resent God for his mercy to others. If you are like Jonah, you resent God for his mercy to others. Look at verse 1. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. As I said, literally it says, but this was great evil to Jonah, and he became angry here's a question what is this or it referred to in this text it says this became or it was a greatly displeased jonah now obviously if you just step back and you go back to the previous verse the previous verse tells us that in verse 10 when god saw their repentance when god saw their cry for mercy it says god relented concerning the calamity which he declared to bring upon them and he did not do it And when Jonah saw that God wasn't going to wipe them out, he became angry. Now, just as a footnote here, I think we need to address this briefly. What about this whole idea that God says, I'm going to destroy you in 40 days, and then he changes his mind? So the question we need to ask here briefly is, why does God change his mind? Or does God change his mind? Now, we have verses in the Bible that tell us that God doesn't change his mind. For example, 1 Samuel 15, 29, it says, Also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? I mean, These verses seem to tell us that God doesn't change his mind. If God said that he'll do something, he will do it. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. So on the one hand, we have all these passages of scripture that tell us that God does not change his mind. God does not change And yet, on the other hand, we have examples of where God does change his mind. Perhaps the most vivid example of this is in Exodus chapter 32. You remember Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, to receive the law. And while he's up there, Aaron leads the people in worshiping the golden calf. God calls Moses and he says, I'm going to wipe them all out. And Exodus 32.10 says, now let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. God says, I'm done with them. I'm going to wipe them all out. And you remember Moses' response? Moses pleads with God and he pleads with God based on the covenant which he made with Abraham. Listen to his prayer. Then Moses entreated the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should you, the Egyptians speak saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about the harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Moses appeals to God. Based on the promise that he made back in Genesis to Abraham that your descendants are going to go into Egypt and they're going to spend 400 years there and then they're going to walk out and then I'm going to give them this entire land. And Moses says, Lord, if you wipe them out, what about that promise that you made? And what was God's response? Exodus 32, 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. So here we have a clear example that God was going to do something, and he changed his mind. So what is the difference? And I think we can summarize it this way. God, in his nature, does not change. For example, in Malachi 3, 6, where he says, I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you still are around. This is the last book in the Old Testament, right? What is he saying? In my character, I do not change. I am the same faithful God. And the only reason why you're still around, because my character does not change. Because I am always faithful. So God's nature and character, they never change. Number two, God's decrees never change. In other words, if God has decreed something, if God made a covenant, for example, Abrahamic covenant, he says, your descendants will go from here until the end of the earth, right? Right? God's decrees do not change, but God's plans do change. As God executes his plan, and in that moment, he could have wiped them out. He had every right to do it. He could have started with Moses, and he could continue, but his plan changed. So God responds to situation when people respond to God differently. So God's nature, his character, his decrees, they never change because he's the same God. But the way God works out his plan at times changes because God responds to people in time. And like we said last time, God is not deist, right? And we should not be deist because God is intimately involved in this creation. When people respond in humility and repentance, God responds in mercy. Does he have to do it? He does not. But does he do it? He does. And here we have another example of this. Ninevites change their attitude toward God, they change their stance toward God, and in response to that, God changes the way he responds to them. Now that's just a footnote. Another issue here that is raised by this text is God's relationship to evil. Because in our text here, we read that God relented concerning the calamity, or the word actually there is evil, concerning evil which he had declared he would bring upon them. Does that mean that God does evil? Does that mean that God commits evil? Now, scripture is clear, and scripture affirms that God does cause evil events to take place, and he does cause evil deeds to be done. Listen to Amos chapter 3, verse 6. It says, If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If calamity, the actual word there is evil, same word, if evil occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? So you have these verses that say, yes, God does bring this about. However, Nowhere in the Bible does God directly do anything evil. Directly, God never does anything evil. Rather, evil is always performed by willing actions of moral creatures. And by them doing so, at the end of the day, they accomplish His will. You see, you cannot blame God for evil because God, by definition, cannot do evil. James chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. James says you can't blame God for your evil actions. Why? For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. God does not commit evil. God doesn't tempt anyone to commit evil. And yet God uses evil in this world in order to accomplish his purposes and his goals. Now, if you're not convinced, let me give you a few examples. Genesis chapter 50. You remember the story of Joseph? His brothers have committed much evil against him. They sold him. First, they threw him. They tried to kill him, right? Then sold him into slavery. He suffered much at their hands. And you remember when they were reconciled in Genesis chapter 50, you have this verse, verse 20. It says, as for you, this is Joseph speaking to his brothers. He says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Notice these two parallel tracks. You meant evil against me, and you have done evil against me. And yet, at the same time, the evil that you committed and that you are responsible for, God used to bring about this result so that through me, I would preserve your lives and the lives of many people. We see human responsibility and God's sovereignty working hand in hand. Remember the story of Job? Job was a man who suffered much. You remember in chapter 1, he basically, in the span of hours, loses everything he has. And then he says this, Naked I came... From my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you actually read the details of that chapter, you know that Job was suffering at the hand of Satan. There were natural disasters and supernatural disasters that were orchestrated by the devil, and yet Job says, The Lord gave, and the Lord t- taken away. So all of that was approved by God even though God was not the direct agent of the evil that was done against Job. Perhaps the greatest evil that has ever been committed on this planet is the murder of the Son of God. There were many people involved in that. Many people played role. And listen to how, to how the Scripture speaks of this. Acts chapter 4, verse 27. He says, For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Notice he lists all these people who are responsible for that. You have Herod, you have Pontius Pilate, you have the Gentiles, and you have the Jews. They have all gathered together against your anointed one. And then he says this in verse 28. To do what? To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur whoa God's sovereignty and human responsibility evil men willingly killed Christ and yet their actions were ordained by God so we can put it this way God's sovereignty and human responsibilities are the two rails on which the track of history runs These two realities are absolutely true. God is absolutely holy, absolutely righteous, never sins, and yet evil exists. And men commit evil, and God uses it for his own purposes. Now, all that was for free. Now, we can return to our text. Now, the fact that God changed his mind about calamity, which he was going to bring on Nineveh, greatly displeased Jonah. Notice here again in our text here that Jonah is angry. He's angry because Jonah had a different plan for Ninevites, which did not include mercy. He wanted God to judge them. And notice that Jonah waited until the end of the book to tell us why he did not want to go to Nineveh in the first place. In verse 2 it says, When Jonah saw that the Lord relented, he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, Was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Come on, Lord. I knew this was going to happen. Notice Jonah is not surprised that God showed mercy to Ninevites. Now, you've probably heard people say that the God of the Old Testament is this mean and vengeful God. In the New Testament, we have this loving and, you know, cute God. But back in the day, man, it was horrible. Listen, Jonah is in the Old Testament. And when God spares the entire city, Jonah's like, wow, I can't believe you did this. In fact, Jonah's like, man, I knew you were going to do that. I didn't want you to do that, but you did that. You do Why? Because that is your character. Because that is who you are. I knew that if I were to go here and if I were to preach to them and they would repent, you wouldn't wipe them out. And I wanted you to wipe them out. That's why I didn't want to come. He admits, in order to forestall this, you see, in the heart of Jonah, Jonah knew God. Jonah knew that his God is merciful. Jonah knew his God is compassionate. Jonah knew God who revealed himself in Exodus 34 because that's the text that he quotes. In Exodus 34, that's where God reveals himself and God declares his name and he says, I am gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. Now notice the attributes that Jonah highlights here. This is a declaration of God himself. Look at these attributes. God of Jonah... God of the Bible is gracious and compassionate. What does it mean that he's gracious? God shows favor to those who are disadvantaged. You see, you need grace when you fall short. Grace is undeserved favor. If you deserve it, it's not grace, it's what you work for. And so when this passage says that God is gracious, he means that people who need favor, people who fall short, they find grace with God. And notice it says he's gracious and he's compassionate. What is compassion? I mean, he has concern for sinners. He has concern for people who are struggling. He has concern for people who are hurting. And he says, listen, this God that I serve, I know that he shows favor to those who are disadvantaged. And I know that he shows compassion to those who are suffering. Not only that, He is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. In other words, God, I know that your wrath is not easily triggered. You know, people have this idea of God that, you know, He's just standing there in heaven waiting to knock somebody out because they stepped out of line. And Jonah says here, no, no, no. You are slow to anger. Which means it takes a while to get you to a point where you're wrathful and when you avenge. You are slow to anger. He says you are loving kind. That's hesed. That's your word. That's your covenant love that God has for people. God gives a long robe to sinners. doesn't just snap like this. That's the character of God. And not only that, you are one who relents concerning calamity. What does that mean? God is eager to forgive. God is waiting. God gives a long rope. God waits for a long time. God shows mercy. God shows compassion. God shows kindness. He shows loving kindness. And he's waiting for sinners to come back. And he says, when sinners come back, you are ready to forgive and you are ready to relent concerning the punishment that you promised to give to those who do not repent. This is the God of the Old Testament. And it's the same God that we serve today. This same God is gracious and he's compassionate. He shows favor to those who are disadvantaged. He shows compassion to those who are suffering. He's slow to anger. And the fact that you're sitting here today is the fact is, proves the fact that he's slow to anger, right? The fact that we're all here proves the fact that this is our God Question, do you ever resent God for his mercy to others? Because that's what Jonah is doing here, is it not? God or Jonah is angry with God because he didn't judge, because he didn't punish. Do you have a list of people that you want God to judge? Maybe you're praying imprecatory psalms over them. I mean, think of people who hurt you. People who take advantage of you, perhaps mistreat you in some way. Or maybe they haven't done anything to you in particular, but they're just evil. Because we have lists of people who are like really bad. I mean, think of, you know, rapists, murderers, Hamas, and whoever else you want to put on that list. I mean, those people deserve God's wrath, and God better wipe them out. And the quicker, the better. We wish that they pay for their crimes. I mean, imagine this scenario. Your friend or your loved one is murdered by thugs. And that person goes on trial, and they put him in prison for life. And God comes to you and says, Listen, I want you to go and I want you to preach the gospel to him. And you're like, No, no, thank you. But like, no, thank you. I mean, if I go and I preach to him, he might repent. if he repents, you might save him. And I don't want you to save him. I want, to, I want him to get what he deserves. So, no, I'm not going. You see, that's what is doing here. Jonah's like, No, 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 God, I'm not into you saving that person. I'm not up for that. I'm into you judging that person. I know that you're holy, I know that you're righteous, and I know that they've sinned against you. So, what I want you to do is I want you to judge. Now, we might not be actively saying that, but perhaps you're thinking that. Perhaps you see some events on news. Or perhaps there is something that has happened in your family or to your friend or even to you. And you might think, man, I just hope that God wipes them out. I hope that, you know, they filled up the cup and God is ready to judge them. There's more passive way to exhibit the same heart. Perhaps you have been shown mercy and you know Christ and you've been redeemed and you've been saved. And yet you know that there are so many people around you who are on their way to hell and you just simply don't care. You just simply could care less if they fall over and die tomorrow and end up in hell. I mean, That is the same heart that Jonah exposes in this chapter. Now, Jonah is so angry with God, and he says in verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. What? I mean, it wasn't too long ago. In chapter 2 when he says, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and I cried to him. When he was inside the belly of the fish, down under, he was crying to God to deliver him. And now he says, Lord, if you don't want to kill them, kill me. Man, what a hardened heart. Lord, I don't want to live and watch you show mercy to these people. Take my life. Remember Moses? Where Moses says, Lord, if you're going to wipe them out, wipe me out too. In this case, he's saying, no, 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 Lord, if you don't want to wipe them out, take me out. Such a hardened heart. I do not want to see you showing mercy to others. Here's a question. Was Jonah a saved man? I mean, he was a prophet of God. How many times in his book he says, Jonah prayed to his God. His God heard him. So Jonah, if you want to put it in modern terms, he was a Christian. He was a man who knew God, and yet his heart was so hardened by his prejudice against Ninevites that he says, I would rather die than to see you show them mercy. And all this after he had been shown much mercy, which tells us that we as believers could be blinded by our sins and do things like Jonah because we are just like Jonah, because the indwelling son in us could blind us as well. Now, you would think that by this time, God had enough of Jonah. I mean, we're in chapter 4. He had an opportunity in chapter 1 to get rid of him. Opportunity in chapter 2, just leave him alone, right? Chapter 3, by this time, you would think God's like, okay, you want to be dead? Here you go. But notice how patient God is with Jonah. Again, verse 4 says, the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Do you think your anger is good or bad? It's probably not the question that you or I would ask Jonah. (laughs) Do you have good reason to be angry? Notice there's a strong contrast here with verse 1, because in verse 1, Jonah thinks that God did what was wrong, and he was angry with God because he says, God, you have done evil And God is saying, listen, you think I did something evil? Are you doing what is right right now by getting angry about me, showing mercy to them? Notice here that Jonah is acting as if he's God. Isn't that what he's doing? Remember the king of Nineveh in chapter 3, verse 9, when he says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Notice God's anger was burning because of the evil that Ninevites have committed. And now Jonah's anger is burning because of the evil he thinks God committed. He's acting as if he's God. And yet, God is so patient. He's so patient with Jonah, even when he's wrong again and again. So, let me ask you are you like Jonah? Not say it out loud, and you don't have to. But do you resent God for his mercy to others? We see another characteristic here of Jonah, beginning in verse 5. If you are like Jonah, you rejoice over God's mercy to you while resenting him for his mercy to others. Look at verse 5. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. That's interesting. Notice Jonah still hopes that God would pour down fire and brimstone upon the Ninevites. Notice it says here, he went out from the city. Like a frustrated child, he throws this tantrum, slams the door, leaves the city. It's most likely this happened just before the 40 days expired. And Jonah's thinking like, perhaps God will change his mind about showing mercy to these people. And you know what? If he does, you probably don't want to be in the city. Walks out. He remembers what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. So we see here Jonah takes his lawn chair, walks outside the city, sets up his lawn chair, and he's ready to watch the fireworks. Isn't that what he's doing? It's wilderness all around, sun, hot, not much around. And Jonah's just sitting there waiting to see. The text says clearly what would happen in the city perhaps God will change his mind and he actually will still wipe them out. He gathers branches, sticks, and whatever else he could, builds a shelter for himself. And you would ask the question, I mean, Jonah, you accomplished your mission. Just pack up and go home. I mean, you finished your job. You went, you preached, they repented, pack your bags and go home. Jonah, why are you still hanging around? No, Jonah wants to have a front row view of the destruction of Nineveh. Walks out, sits down, and is waiting for God to pour his wrath. Look at God's response, verse 6. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plan. Notice, Jonah had just accused God of being evil. And God does this for Jonah? I mean, really? People argue about the kind of plant that this was. Not sure, but we know it's not natural because it just grew up overnight, and it was so large that it was able to provide shade for him. We don't know if it, was, it grew up inside the shelter that he made or outside of it to cover it. But again, what's the point here? God is so merciful to Jonah. He's so merciful to Jonah that even now he's given him deliverance from heat. I mean, he's sitting there. He's not even supposed to be there. He's supposed to go home already. And yet he's sitting there, and God is showing mercy. Listen, only God of mercy can do that. Many of us, like I said, would have given up on Jonah long, long ago. Apparently, the shelter that he made was no better than the fig leaves that Adam and Eve covered themselves with, right? It's not doing his job, so God's like, okay, I'll show you mercy. And he does. And notice again the sovereignty of God that we saw all throughout this book It says, God appoints a plan. Verse 7, he appoints a worm. Verse 8, he appoints a scorching wind. Notice again, through it all, everything is directed by God himself. This was not an accident. No, it grew directly over Jonah to be shade for him. And then God caused a worm to kill the plan. God sovereignly reigns over all things. There is nothing outside of his control. And notice explicitly the text says that the purpose of the plan was to provide shade for Jonah. God was alleviating the discomfort of his rebellious prophet. If you just count how many times God delivered Jonah in this book, it's amazing, right? God delivered him when he was thrown into the sea, delivered him by sending that fish that swallowed him. Later on, God delivers him by causing that fish to spit him out. Now, He's delivering him from his discomfort. I mean, you cannot read this book and not be impressed with the mercy of God. And I think there's a point to this that God shows mercy again and again. I think we shouldn't take this passage and say, listen, I can just sit here and do whatever I want, and my God is going to be so merciful to me because this will never end. That's not true because we have other passages of Scripture. But what we have emphasized in this book specifically is that God is saying, listen, I am showing mercy to sinners. And here, Jonah, I will demonstrate on you a rebellious prophet how merciful and how kind I am, how much you continue to sin against me, and how much mercy I'm continuing to give to you. Now notice Jonah's reaction. He was extremely happy about the plan. In verse 1 and verse 9, Jonah is angry. In verse 3 and verse 8, Jonah is asking to die. And this is the only time in the entire book when Jonah was happy. Jonah is happy here. Why? Because he's comfortable. I'm about to watch these fireworks, and look at that. The Lord has provided comfort for me. But not only does God show mercy to Jonah, he wants to teach him a lesson, an object lesson. Because in verse 7 it says, God appointed a worm when the dawn came the next day. And that attacked the plant, and it withered. Just like the plant miraculously grew, it withered overnight. And notice God used a worm, and God uses wind to accomplish his purposes. He gives comfort, and he takes them away. The plant dies. the scorching wind comes, tears his shelter apart that he built for himself. The plant is dead, and now Jonah is sitting there in a desert, Under the scorching sun. And notice for a second time, he's begging to die. If in verse 3 he asked to die, now the text says he's begging with all his soul to die. I mean, you can almost feel sorry for this guy. But you know what? All his misery was of his own doing. Was it not? And now he's like, Lord, kill me. Take my life away. He's angry with God. And God again asks him a question. (laughs) Again, just like, do you have good reason to be angry? Verse 9, do you have good reason to be angry? Notice Jonah's not only angry with God, now he's angry about the plan. Because God says, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plan? See, God removed his comfort in order to reveal his God his heart. God gave him comfort in the first place by providing a plan for him. But now he exposes what was in his heart. God did not have to provide this plan, but he did. And by doing so, he's teaching this object lesson. Again, rather than simply rebuking Jonah, he says, do you have good reason? And again, we're reading this, and Jonah wrote this for us to read. And anyone who reads this would be like, man, Jonah, you're acting like a fool. And look at his response. I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Notice, he's not talking to another guy here. He's talking to God. God who, knows your, God who knows everything. And he's saying, yeah, God, I have good reason to be angry. You're wrong. You sinned. You should have wiped him out. You didn't. I'm right. And therefore, I have a reason to be angry. Whoa. The prophet. Now, if you think, for a moment that Jonah is not an anomaly in this regard right how many times we think that we have reason to be angry we have reason to be angry with God because how come you didn't do this to him or God how come you remove this from me I mean, God graciously gives you things. God graciously gives you comforts. He graciously provides for you none of the things that you deserve, right? And just like Jonah, we are extremely happy about the things that God provides. And we even say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. The Lord's been good to me. He comes up on Ebenezer log because the Lord has given this to me, right? And then God takes it away, and you become angry. Just like Jonah, he became angry because he was uncomfortable. So are you like Jonah? Do you praise God for his mercy to you and rejoice over that mercy? And yet at the same time, you're unwilling to show any mercy to others. Finally, if you are like Jonah, you refuse to show mercy to others. Now, the last two verses of this book, these verses are here to get to the heart of this entire book. This is the climax. This is the because you'll see that the book ends with animals. Really? It ends with a question. What's the point? Like, you would think, like, okay, let's tell us, what did Jonah do? How did Jonah respond to all this? No, this is the climax toward which everything was going. Here is the heart of the problem. This is Jonah's problem, and this is perhaps our problem to some extent. You see, Jonah had no compassion or mercy for perishing people. That is the heart that this book seeks to expose. God speaks again. Verse 10. The Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Now again, notice, God is using the plant as an object lesson. He says, listen, Jonah, let's come together and let's reason. Let's think through this. You have compassion for a plant. Now, I'm sure it was a beautiful plant. I mean, definitely it was a useful plant. And Jonah feels so sorry for the plant that now he's willing to die. Notice, if you dig a little deeper, and if you just examine this, it wasn't about the plant, was it? I mean, I'm sure there were other plants who perished and died. Jonah didn't care about them. But what was it that triggered Jonah? Jonah. What triggered Jonah, is was his own comfort. Like, God, I mean, you gave this to me. I was very comfortable. It was very good. It was a beautiful lifestyle here, sitting here and, you know, watching the show. And you took that away from me. See, Jonah cared more about his comfort than eternal souls of the people whom he wanted to be wiped out. had no compassion for sinners. Oh, he had compassion for a plant? How absurd is that? Notice God says, listen, Jonah, you didn't work for it? I mean, sometimes, you know, you work for something really hard, and you spend, you know, many days and many hours building it, right? And it just, like, falls apart, and you're like, dude, come on. I just wasted my whole life doing this. And God says, listen, what are we talking about here? We're talking about a plant, and what was your contribution to this plant? Zero. You did not cause it to grow, and you are angry with me because it's dead? It came up overnight, and it withered overnight. I mean, that's the whole idea with plants. Remember Jesus? He used this illustration. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? I mean, all throughout Scripture, this idea of plants compared to people. Listen, plants are beautiful, right? Helpful. You can enjoy them. But guess what? They come and go like this. They come up in the morning, and they're gone. And he says, and you're sitting here weeping and crying and are angry with me that I killed this plant right here. And you're saying that I have sinned about a plant. And by the way, I caused this plant to grow. Did I not? Because God appointed the plant. God says, I caused it, and I killed the plant. I have a right to do that. And then comes the mic drop moment of this book. Verse 11. Should I... Nod have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. Listen, Jonah, you had compassion on a plant, a plant. Now, I know some people like plants here, right? And you take care of them and you work so hard so they don't die. But in the big scheme of things, right? says, gentlemen, you had compassion on a plan. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? I mean, notice the argument here is from the lesser to the greater. And the point is that the people of Nineveh are far more important than your stupid plan. That's the point. And notice he says there are a lot of people in the city because he says there are 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right and left hand. People interpreted this differently, these two views. Some suggest that there are 120,000 babies in the city. They don't know the difference between the right and left hand. Others say that 120,000 people refers to all the people of Nineveh. Because these people were immature, and Bible does speak of unbelievers as being ignorant. They do not have revelation of God. They didn't know. God did not come and bring them, you know, Torah and everything else. And so these are just ignorant people. So whichever interpretation you go for, if it's 120,000 people, you can say, man, it's safe to say there's probably over 600,000 people in that city. But even if there are just 120,000 people in that city, that's a large city. And he says, listen, Jonah, you are whining. And accusing me because I was wrong in killing one plant. And you want me to kill 120,000 or even 600,000 people. Does that make sense? You think that's compassionate? You, know, you think that's gracious? And notice he adds here, as well as many animals. Listen, animals are more valuable than plants. People are more valuable than animals. He says, you are arguing about a plant, and I would have to kill those animals because you want me to show wrath." Now again, God is not saying that he can never show wrath. God is not saying that it would be wrong for him to judge. That's not what God's saying because we saw last time that 100 years from this point, God goes in there and wipes clean everything. Everything is wiped out. God judges them, and God has right to judge man, animal, plants, and everything else. But the point that he's making in this text is, Jonah, listen, you have compassion on a plant, and yet you have zero compassion on the people. And notice when he says, plant which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perish overnight. What is that? He says, Jonah, I know you have nothing to do with those people, but guess what? The reason they exist is because I made them. Because even those pagans whom you hate, they are still made in my image. And because God is the creator of the universe, he's created not only of Israel, not of of Christians, he's created of all men. And he says, and even those vile pagans who commit atrocities and who are evil, they're made in my image. I made them. I created them. And I have compassion for them. And guess what, Jonah, you have none. You're not showing them mercy because you don't see them for what they are. You only look at them because of the evil that they have done and because they stand in your way. But guess what? I made them. They're mine. Remember the last time we saw the passage that Nineveh was a great city to God. These were his people. And God so says, if I choose to show them mercy, if I choose to show them compassion, it is right for me to do that. And you have no right to be angry with me because I choose to show mercy to them. And notice that's how the book ends. It ends with a question. And I think there's a point to that. Because Jonah wants this question to ring in your head and he says, listen, substitute the people in your life that you have written off. Substitute the plant that Jonah is angry about and put the names of the people that you think they don't deserve God's wrath. They don't deserve God's mercy. I want God to judge them. I don't want God to save them. And he says, listen, should I not have compassion on them? Should I not show mercy to them? That's the point. That's why this is here. So as we draw our time to a close, I mean, ask yourself, if you're like Jonah, do you resent God for his mercy to others? At the same time, rejoicing at the mercy that he shows to you. And notice it's not just mercy in terms of salvation. Because on a different level, we see the same hard attitude where, you know, you have people who are blessed by God in this life. And God is so merciful to them, and he lavishes those families with good and joy and prosperity and everything. And you're sitting here like, Lord, why them? What about me? See, that's the same heart of Jonah. When you compare and thinking like, okay, I should be blessed. The Lord should give this to me, and yet here they are prospering. It's the same heart of Jonah. God says, listen, I'm compassionate. I'm merciful to you. If you just stop Jonah and recount how many times I have been merciful to you, You would not be pointing your finger at anybody else and saying, well, why them? It's the same heart if we are envying others who receive mercy from God and we refuse to show mercy to them. Do you care more for your temporal comforts than you care for eternal souls of those who are perishing? You see, God created man in his own image. Every single person. There is one race, human race. There are many ethnicities, but all those people are created by God. And all those people are accountable to God. And all those people will one one day stand before God. And they will give account for their lives. And think about it. With all the religions that we have, with all the churches and everything else that we have, the only thing that matters is what every single individual does with Jesus Christ. That's what will determine whether they will be saved or whether they'll perish. If they know Christ. And guess what? You and I have Christ, and you and I have commission to go and preach Christ. You and I have a message that can bring them deliverance. And if we're like Jonah, we're more concerned about our plants and our shelters and our comforts rather than the eternal souls of people. But to one degree or another, it's true of all of us, and that is something that this book seeks to expose. Now, if you answered yes to any of these questions, this is not to beat you down over the head because how horrible you are. Yeah, we all are horrible, right? But guess what? This book is here to expose that in our heart. And if you see that, you have a place where you can bring that. You have the cross. You can come and you can repent of your attitude. You can repent of your actions. And you can plead that the Lord would forgive and the Lord would show mercy once again. Because that's what this is for. This is to show us, hey, don't be like this. And if you are like this, you are still breathing and there is still time to change. Repent, trust Christ, and move in faith. I want to finish in the New Testament. New Testament, in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, we we'll read this Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. In verse 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. He felt compassion for them. Why? Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. You see, the same God of the book of Jonah puts on human flesh, and He models for us the same mercy and compassion. You see, it was the compassion that Jesus had for sinners that compelled Him to teach them, to feed them, to heal them, and to do everything else. And notice, Jesus, He forfeited His comfort of heaven, and He came and became one of us. Talk about downgrade, right? Leaving the glory of heaven and coming to earth, enduring all the things that he endured here. Why? Because he says, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. In a sense, we can say that if we fail to go, it is not because of lack of education, or it's not because of lack of courage, but bottom line, it's because of lack of compassion. I mean, if you have compassion for sinners... If you have compassion for people who are perishing and you have something that could deliver them, you're not necessarily worried about the fact that, you know what, if I go to them and I'll say some things and they won't sound, it'll sound awkward because, you know, I didn't take all the classes that were offered. It's not what you're going to be worried about, right, if you have compassion for sinners. And that's what Jesus illustrates for us here. Now again, I don't want you to walk away from here motivated by guilt. Because you're like, man, I mean, stop heaping up guilt on me. Now, if you have guilt and you're convicted by the Spirit, repent. But guilt is not a good motivation for evangelism. It's not. The goal here is to be moved by the compassion of Jesus. And that's what the book of Jonah is about. Yes, it does confront our lack of compassion. And yes, you will have guilt that you need to repent of, and the Lord will take that away from you. But at the end of the day, what we want to walk away here is like, listen, we have been with God. We have seen how gracious and compassionate God is to us. And guess what? If you're a Christian, you have a heart of God. Or you should have a heart of God. And yes, that heart is not perfect And yes, the attitudes that we have and the actions that we commit, they're not perfectly reflecting of the Father. But guess what? That's what growth is. That's what sanctification is. That's why we come together to study this. So the better we know God, we know the heart that we ought to imitate. And perhaps going to the Lord and praying for the people that you need to go witness. And perhaps taking that list of people that you don't really like and going to the Lord before and saying, Lord, I hate these people. Honestly, I hate them. I want you to judge them. And again, this is your personal heart, and this is distinct from what the governments will do. Because, you know, again, at the same time, we don't want to be so Christian and say, hey, if criminals commit crime, then we just let them go because we love them. No. Governments have right, and it is necessary for them to punish criminals. We'll preach the gospel to them before we execute them. But, yes, we'll do that. But our heart, what is our heart? Our heart is we don't want anyone to be condemned. We don't want anyone to experience the wrath of God because guess what? If they don't repent, they will experience that wrath. And the God of Jonah, and the same God who put on human flesh, he illustrates for us what it is like to have compassion for sinners. Now you bring this out, and this is seen all throughout the Bible. Remember as Jesus walked and as he ministered, there was always a group of people, often Pharisees, who were like, hey, why are you hanging out with those people? Why are you going to them? They looked down because those people didn't deserve no, if you're holy, you hang out in this, you know, chosen and frozen club. No. Jesus says, no, he goes and he hangs out with sinners. Not to hang out with sinners, but to preach the gospel to sinners. Why? Because he says, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. So ask yourself, am I like Jonah or am I like Jesus? In what ways I am like Jonah? And what is it that I need to repent of? And what is it about Jesus that I need to imitate? Jesus was compassionate and gracious to sinners. And he went and he laid down his life to save them. And guess what? The great commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all sinners. And at the same time, we're praying that the Lord would show them mercy. That's our prayer. That's why we study this so that this would motivate us to be those who would go with this message to the lost and to tell them that you have a great God. Yes, you are a great sinners. Yes, you, are, you have sinned against the Lord. And yes, God can show you mercy if you repent and trust in Christ. May God use us to bring this message far and wide. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you would create this heart in us. We ask that you would forgive us where we fall short, We ask that you would forgive us where we don't want to show mercy while we ourselves have been shown so much mercy by you. I ask, Lord, that you would continue to be gracious with us because you know that we are but flesh. And At the same time, we ask that your Spirit would do in us what we cannot do on our own. Change us. Transform us. Give us boldness. Give us power and empower us to bring this message far and wide so that many would experience your mercy. Thank you for Jonah. Thank you for this book. And thank you for guiding us through it. For your glory we pray this. Amen.